This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد القائد أعلى المسدد نبينا الهادي محمد ودونكم أحد سلوه فعنده الخبر المؤكد ادعو الى سبيل ربك بالحكمه والموعظه الحسنه وجادلهم بالتي هي احسن ان ربك هو اعلم بمن الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عشف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته أجمعين وبعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الحدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أيها الأخوة الكرام وأخوات السيدات السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته My respected uh, Muslim brothers and sisters, and in the event that there are some non-Muslims here, Assalamu ala man al huda. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. Our task uh, this evening is to address uh, a very critical topic, a traditional topic. The responsibility of delivering the message. While I will do my best to address that traditional topic, I am forced to do it in an untraditional way. An untraditional meaning that I won't simply just simply just talk about dawah and give some verses of Qur'an uh, about the beauty of da'wah and some ahadiths of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
about the responsibility of DAWA, uh, and then after that take some questions and answers about something which is already clear. DAWA is a mandate. DAWA is an excursion. DAWA is an operation. The people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered to execute this mandate and the people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered to go out on this excursion and the people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered to perform this operation, unfortunately, they are unprepared. We, Muslims, are unprepared. So we can talk about the operation, and we can talk about the excursion, and we can talk about the mandate of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but if we're not prepared, then we're like those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned when he says, Oh you who believe, why is it that you say something which you do not actually do? Kabura maqtan Allah. Grievous, hateful, is it in the sight of Allah that you say something which you actually don't do? And in many cases, don't even intend to do. We, the Muslims, the body of the Muslims, the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Jama'atul Muslimin, wherever we are in the earth as a body, we are not prepared to execute this mandate and we are not prepared to go out on this excursion and we are not prepared to perform this critical operation. It is not my intent simply to talk about the defects of the Muslims, but to do what a doctor, a general practitioner would do if you came to his office. And that is to make an examination of your physical condition. Or in the case of a psychiatrist or psychologist, to make an assessment of your mental or psychological condition. So what I would like to do, and I ask for your tolerance, I would like to first talk about the characteristics of our condition. Throughout the world, the Muslim condition is one where they are traumatized, they are paralyzed, they are incarcerated in their own homes, in their own lands, incarcerated within their own limited cultural mentalities and they are confused now this is my subjective observation 
after having visited at least 23 countries where the population is, the majority is Muslim. And another 14 or 15 countries where Muslims are minorities. The trauma that Muslims find themselves in are of multiple levels. They have been traumatized because they have been invaded. The invasion in most cases was a direct invasion, military invasion. They have been traumatized because they have been invaded ideologically. That is, the unbelievers, the kuffar, were permitted by the Muslims or allowed by the Muslims or in some cases invited by the Muslims to establish their universities, their curriculums, their syllabus and introduce their culture into the Muslims so that the Muslims became polluted. The invasion in some cases was more subtle than that. It came through marketing techniques like McDonald's and Burger King that Muslims think are innocent. But it's not innocent. It's part of the design of dismantling your values and establishing on top of that their values for generations to come. We still have not recovered from this trauma. And this trauma is not just something that exists in the Muslim countries. The trauma exists among the Muslims who live as minorities in the Kafir countries. Because they bring the cultural baggage from the Muslim countries to where they live and they continue to live the trauma. They are paralyzed. Paralyzed means impotent. Unable to move. As if they are strapped in their chairs. Paralyzed. I give you a few examples. In the Muslim countries, we can take seven of the major Muslim countries. Major, we say, where the major scholars are, where the major students of knowledge are, where the major institutions are, in those societies, the dawah is frozen. Frozen! People, Kafirs, come in and out of those countries and take high-ranking positions in institutions and in government and leave after living there five or ten years and did not receive any dawah. Because the Muslims are paralyzed. We don't blame the scholars because they're not, for us, they're not priests. So we can't blame the scholars as if the responsibility of dawah is upon scholars and students of knowledge. We don't have priests in our religion. 
The dawah is the responsibility of the people themselves. And if a non-Muslim works in a Muslim country for 10 years and comes out of there and never received any direct dawah, it means the people of that country were paralyzed when it comes to dawah. Another example that we can take here in Australia or anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere or anywhere else where the Western culture or civilization is dominant, the, the paralysis takes a different form. That is, the Muslims are strapped into the culture of their masjids or the Islamic centers. And outside of their masjids and Islamic centers, they do nothing that represents the Islamic dawah. It's as if they're paralyzed. They come to the mosque, 10% of them, and they pray. And 10% of those that come to the mosque and pray, come to the Fajr prayer and come to the Isha prayer. That makes it like 1% of the Muslims that even come to Fajr and Isha. And among those that come to Fajr and Isha, they are the most stimulated. They are the most inspired. And in many cases, the most knowledgeable and able to do dawah. But what do we find? We find that usually their dawah is mechanical. It's ritualistic. It very rarely leaves the university. And on the university, it very rarely leaves this limited type of environment that we're in. And in the masjid, it never leaves the Islamic center. It's as if there's a switch on the door of the mosque. When they come in, they become pious and stimulated. And when they go out, they become a different kind of people. Paralyzed. They are incarcerated in their own countries. Incarceration is another word for me be, being locked up, in jail, deprived of normal privileges. Muslims in their own countries are incarcerated. It means that the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the da'wah of Islam is locked up in their own countries and limited to certain formal environments. And limited only to talking about rituals. In the last 10 years, we've had a phenomenon where Muslims now are talking about Aqidah. Ten years ago, Muslims weren't even talking about Aqidah. Alhamdulillah, now the books are being written about the Aqidah, and the emphasis is upon Aqidah. But unfortunately, for the last ten years, the brothers and sisters can't seem to get past Aqidah. As if, as if, the ten years in Medina doesn't exist. Those was not the years of Aqidah. You're right. 13 years, the Prophet wasallam, through the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, emphasized aqidah. But what about the other 10 years? Many Muslims have been here in Australia all their lives. They have grown up here. Their children have grown up here. So we passed the 23-year mark. When are we going to start talking about the ayats? that were revealed in Medina. When are we going to start to implement 
the ayats and the, and the ahkam that came in the time of Medina. They are confused. Muslims are confused. When we say da'wah even, the average Muslim is still asking questions like, Shaykh, and by the way, that's just a title of respect because it doesn't mean knowledge for me. They said, Shaykh, can you give uh, the, the definition of da'wah? Can you tell us what is the best way for us to talk to a non-Muslim? SubhanAllah. You don't think that the Kafir institutions have learned how to talk to Muslims for Muslims to become consumers of them? They know exactly how to talk to you. They know exactly how to appeal to you and your children to do what? To suck all the blood out of you and to have you fixed upon their televisions and their media most of your day and most of your lives. And we, Muslims, we have the Quran, we have the Sunnah. We're living among them, in their neighborhoods, going to their institutions, working with them on the jobs. We are praying five times a day, some of us, and we don't know how to talk to them. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Because of this traumatization, because of this paralysis, and because of this incarceration and confusion, what has happened throughout the Muslim world is that relative to the da'wah now, I'm not going to speak about all the other things since the topic is about da'wah. As a result of this, these conditions, Muslims have become negligent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us, he said, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, a'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan al-rajim. Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, taqullah, wal tanzur nafsum ma qaddamat lighad. Wa taqullah, inna Allah khabirum bima ta'amalun. Wa la takunu kalladhina nasullaha fa'ansahum anfusahum. Ulaika humul fasikun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to us in these ayats, O oh, you who believe, fear Allah, be mindful of Allah. Look, investigate, review, evaluate. Nafsum ma qaddamat lighad. Evaluate yourself. Look towards what you send forward. Look towards what you have invested, what you have planted, whether it means your energy, whether it means your money, whether it be your children or your time. Look towards what you have sent forward for yourself. Because the only thing you're going to find in front of you is what you sent forward. Allah. Be mindful of Allah. Fear Allah. Inna Allah khabirun bima ta'amaloon. Verily Allah is aware of the most subtle things you do. The things I don't know that you do and the things that I do that you don't know. Allah is aware and he knows and he has inscribed it. He says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَصُوا And do not be like those people who did what? They forgot about Allah. 
And so Allah caused them to forget about themselves, their own objectives. What does it mean they forgot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Did they forget the names of Allah? No, they didn't. Did they forget the Quran? No, they didn't. They're still reciting it. Did they forget the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Muslims say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet said the most stingy of those who mention me are those who mention me and they don't say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They did not forget the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They are referring to his sunnah or to his person. But they forgot about their objectives. They forgot about the orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have become negligent. And this is why he says, do not be like those who forgot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when they have, that happens, he calls them to forget their own selves. What is their own selves? Here it means their mission. It means their substance. It means their purpose. They forgot their objective. When they forgot their purpose, themselves, their objective, and their mission, they became fasiqun, negligent, criminal. And a very good hadith from the Prophet wasallam. And brothers and sisters, uh, since all of you uh, living in this country uh, should be by now fairly um, conversant with the English language, for the sake of time, I won't recite all of these dela'il in Arabic. I'll give you the references, or you can get the references because they are popular, they're well known. So I'll read them for you in English. Another one of the reasons for this condition is that the Muslims have become preoccupied. So the Prophet ﷺ said, a time will come when the nations of the world will invite themselves towards you like a group of people that are hungry will invite themselves to a plate of food when it is placed in their midst. The companions of the Prophet were surprised. And they asked him, Will this be because at that time we will be in the minority? There will only be a few of us? This is how they were thinking. He said, No. No, you will be at that time in the majority. You will be a great number. Are we a great number? Yes, we are. We hear the Muslims talking about, we hear the statistics, 1.4 billion Muslims. 1.4 billion wet matches. Nothing you can do with them except recycle them and produce more matches that you can strike over again when they're dry. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he went on to tell them why this condition would exist. He said, your enemies 
your enemies will have no respect and no fear of you. Is this the case today? Has not the United Nations, headed by the United States, United States, <laughs> has not the United Nations, it's a Freudian slip, has not the United Nations, headed by the United States, have not they invited the nations to form a coalition, a world coalition, a new world order to do what? To select from the Muslims whichever they like, like a buffet. And they talk to each other like that. What you like today? Palestine, Afghanistan, Kashmir, Somalia, Shishan, Pakistan, Afghanistan. What you like? The question what they always have for each other, what do they have? Why do we need it? What can we do with them? So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, and they do this blatantly, without any consideration, no respect. They take and go and invade and rape and kill and massacre, and do whatever they want to do, and then after that, they set up humanitarian foundations to invite us to their countries to live, give us citizenship, and give us safety, and make us democratic, make us feel real good, and make sure we never go back to those lands to change our conditions. So the Prophet ﷺ, he went on. He said, your enemies will have no respect and no fear of you, and you, you Muslims, will be like Gutha as sail. You will be like the bubbles on the, sh on the ocean when it goes to the shore and comes back. Bubbles, froth, foam, trash, scum. Means that no substance, you will have no substance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strike something in your heart called wahin. And these were Arabs, they didn't know what is meant by wahin. They asked him, Ya Rasulullah, what is that? He said to them, Hubba dunya wa karahiyatul maut. Hubba dunya means preoccupation, attachment, inordinate, attachment, preoccupation, involvement, being submerged in the dunya. Wa karahiyatul maut means hating death, but it means more than that. It means not wanting even to be wounded, not even wanting to be disturbed, not even wanting to be bothered if it's going to lead to something like injury and maybe death. That means they have given up the idea of jihad. Preoccupation. They have become also polarized. Polarized how? Polarized by ideological groups. So the Muslims among themselves are competing with one another with ideologies. You got this group, you got that group, right here in this room. And the Muslims feel the need not to call themselves Muslims, but they feel the need among other Muslims to call themselves a particular name. And this, name, this adopting of names, however good intended it is, has caused polarization among the Muslims. We need to stop that. 
Let the kind of Muslim that you are be known by your behavior. Take the names off the sheets. Take the names off the doors. Take the names off the mosques. Take the names off your shirts. Take the names off of your gatherings. Just call yourself Muslims. If you say you're following the Quran and the Sunnah, you don't need to call yourself Quranis. Sunnis. We don't need to do that. We understand that it's, it's making a distinction, making a statement, making a clarification. We understand what that means, but it's unnecessary. Let your actions speak louder than your words. The Prophet said, I came to perfect what? Good manners. Good manners. Our dawah, our dawah should be through our manners. Not through the pamphlets, not through the booklets. Through our manners. The polarization of the groups of the Muslims all over the world is creating another problem for the Muslims. That is, the Muslims can't get at, they can't begin to mobilize towards the enemies of Islam because of their fighting each other, polarizing each other. I go to places where Muslims are and there's a masjid here and another masjid across the street and another masjid up the street and they don't even talk to each other. I'm talking about in a non-Muslim country. Three Adhans called and the people who belong to those groups instinctively come out of their homes and go to past two masters and go to another one and don't even talk to each other. This is called polarization. And why is it? I'm talking about three different masters that are built by people that come from one country now. It's because before they came from that country, they were already polarized. One group called themselves Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah or Ahl al Hadith. Another group called themselves Brailways. Another group called themselves something else. And only because of these names, even in passing each other, they don't even say Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuhu. So we have to remove this polarization because this is one of the indications of our defeat. The other is deviation. We want to be Muslims, we want to talk about Islam, but we ourselves are not familiar with the Quran. We're not familiar with the Sunnah of the Prophet And we prefer our culture, we prefer our ethnicity, we prefer our own particular scholars than we do the direct understanding of the Quran of the, of the three generations. For us, there is clear guidance, understanding, application of the Quran from the three generations that the Prophet ﷺ guaranteed for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, there is for you in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ there is in the Messenger of Allah in his behavior, in his sunnah, which we can obtain through authentic ahadith and records. The best, most powerful, profound pattern of conduct. And then there is nationalism. Nationalism among the Muslims. 
We don't say nationalism. We all say that we are brothers, but just watch and see how the Muslims act even inside of a masjid. The Somali brothers into the masjid and they look to talk with Somali brother. Yemeni brother does the same. Pakistani, he do the same. Indian, he does the same. Saudi, even though they're all Arabs now, Saudi does the same. Jordani does the same. Everybody looks for their own people to sit with, to organize with, to be with, to eat with, to call and to come and to invite and to go. And this happens not only here, but it happens everywhere. The message of Allah he wanted to dispel this. He wanted the Muslims not to do that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us that way. Where we are with our tongues, with our colors, with our countries. But Allah made us brothers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to make this Islamic brotherhood. He wanted to make every other collection, every other fraternity, and every other influence among the Muslims subordinate to brotherhood. He said, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ what? So make soul, make islah. How do we make islah among the brothers? We do this by pushing down, modifying those tendencies. Eliminate, if you can, the ethnic, cultural tendencies. I asked you a question and ask yourself the question. When's the last time that you as whatever ethnicity that you are, that you purposely in the masjid sat down next to another brother who live on the other side of the world and asked him how does he feel, what's his children's names, and Akhi, why don't you come to my house for dinner so I can know who you are. When's the last time you did that, brothers and sisters? Maybe you never did it. Dear Muslim brothers and sisters, Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said to us in the Qur'an, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, yes, definitely, who, who is better, who is more excellent, than the one that calls towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not just calling, not just shouting, not just arguing. But they are acting upon what they are calling. They are setting a precedent for what they are calling too. They have established a behavior, a paradigm, an example to what they are calling too. And they openly say, announce, I am Muslim. You see, three steps. Calling towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, calling towards the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, acting upon it so as to set up an example of it that you're calling people to. And then the third thing, announcing yourself and looking like Muslims all the time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the well-known ayah, Ud'u ila sabili rabbik. Call to the way of your Lord. In what way? 
Call to the way of thy Lord. What is the sabil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The sabil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Islam. And what is Islam? What's the sources of it? The Quran and the Sunnah. So call to Islam. Call to the Quran and the Sunnah. Bil hikmah. With wisdom. And with beautiful, convincing arguments. And argue with them in ways that are better than theirs. This means listen to them, evaluate them, be patient, watch them, and then take their arguments and reverse it and give them something which is better, more convincing than theirs. Verily Allah knows best who goes astray from his path, and Allah knows best what? Those who are muhtadeen. He knows those best who is guided. Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, call it orientation, call it education, call it propagation. The human being is directly influenced by that which he or she is taught, exposed to, or given. This can be proven through psychology, history, or through common sense. We've all heard the principle, association breeds assimilation. Thus, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us this order, He the powerful and the glorious, when He told us about the excellence of the one who invites, He gave us an indication of the power of communication. Communication. If you don't understand what communication means, brothers and sisters, let me give you an example. If you and your children watch television, this is a statistic. The sisters and the brothers who bring their young children to these meetings, we love the children. It's a blessing for you to bring them, alhamdulillah, but it's your responsibility to control them. Because what we're talking about is not wajib on the children. They cannot understand it. But it becomes binding as a courtesy and an adab upon you and I. Whether a lecture or whether the Juma prayer. So, let me give you this statistic, Muslims. If you or your children watch only three to four hours of television a day, Then how many are you watching per month? About 900 to 1,000 hours of television a month. I'm sorry, 90 to 100 hours a month. Well, the statistic says that you and your children will witness at least 73,000 acts of haram in the course of that month. 73 acts of fawahish. Fornication, adultery, rebellion to Allah, kufr, shirk, homosexuality, lesbianism, drunkenness, adultery, lying, slander, murder, theft. And we are told and we are prompted to be entertained by it or to laugh at it. So much so that they did a test and they showed 
Young children, after a year of watching television for free, they let them watch it for free. Then they showed them a picture of an old lady falling down some steps. And all the children laughed. That was their grandmother falling down the steps. It means that what has happened, those children have become insensitive towards their grandmother. See what has happened. What do you think about the 73,000 other acts? Multiply those acts, those 73,000 by, by 12 months. What does it come to? 146,000 plus 730,000. That's what they see every year. You and your children, if you only watch it three to four hours a day. Brothers and sisters, communication is one of the most powerful tools to manipulate and condition human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you and I a tool of communication, which we can combat their communication. Because if you don't give da'wah, you yourself become mud'i. You become the object of da'wah. So you look at the billboards, you watch the television, you watch, you go to the movies, you go to Blockbuster to entertain yourself. You go to school and you are told and your children are told what is right and what is wrong, what the world should look like, what you should look like. And McDonald's and, Mac and Burger King tell you, have it your own way. And Coca-Cola tells you, just do it. <laughs> or Nike. <laughs> and we do. This is the power of communication, brothers and sisters. So we witness the race and the fierce competition to influence and inevitably control and direct the thinking of human beings through the media, through culture, through education, and through the imposition of governmental institutions. This is a form of dawah. Brothers and sisters, you and I, our children, and all the Muslims worldwide have been compromised. We have been polluted. We have been penetrated. We have been subjected. And we have become subordinate to the dawah of the modern world. Without thinking about it. You and I are following the prompts, the commands, and the invitation of the media. You are buying what they tell you to buy. You are living where they want you to live. You are pursuing careers that they tell you are important and critical and vital and will pay you well. You are being influenced and manipulated and invited and controlled by institutions like this one. Your friends, your desires, and your ambitions. Yes, we are frightened. When we watch on CNN or ABC or one of those other tri-literal names, when we watch on television, the fierceness of their bombs exploding and their 
and their troops marching in their tanks and their planes and how they talk so arrogant about what the world belongs to them and what everyone else should do because of what they say and the mandate of this and the mandate of that and we and us and our and we sit glued to the television and we can do nothing because we are thinking about the A-bomb we're thinking about the atomic bomb we're thinking about the H-bomb, the hydrogen bomb. Nobody has a bomb like the atomic bomb. After the Americans dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the whole world was paralyzed. All of a sudden, America stepped up into that position. Out of nowhere, America just stepped up into the position, became the imam of the world. Because they dropped the A-bomb. Since that time, other bombs have been dropped on other people. The H-bomb, the hydrogen bomb, the neutron bomb, the smart bomb. They got all these bombs that have, the, the, what? Intimidate the Muslims. But brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you and I, back 1,424 years ago, the D-bomb. This album, the D-bomb, it blows up no buildings, breaks no bones, destroys no civilizations, takes no hostages, does not humiliate anyone, does not overturn anything, and does not disgrace anyone. But it is able, by the grace of Allah, it is able to penetrate minds and hearts instantly. This D-bomb, this the Dawa bomb. Now so that no one will be able to say that Brother Khalid Yassin gave a lecture and told the Muslims to build a bomb. <laughs> Let's make it clear that we are talking about Islamic propagation. And I'll give you an instance, I'll give you an idea, brothers and sisters, what it can do. What it can do here or anywhere else in the world where human beings are. In America, where most of the dominant culture comes from in the world today, seems like everybody in the world wants to be like America. This year, McDonald's will open up 2,000 stores in China. Can you believe that? 2,000 McDonald's franchises will open up in China. The average income of the Chinese is about 196 pounds, sterling pounds, a year. Now how in the world are they going to buy a Big Mac? <laughs> but they will. The Chinese right now they are lined up. They will throw away their chopsticks. <laughs> because they have already been preconditioned that if they can't get to America, at least get to McDonald's. <laughs> In America, 
on an average of 42 to 45,000 people accept Islam every year. Without organized dawah. There's no national, continental dawah agency in America. There isn't. Excuse me? Excuse me? There's no continental or national dawah agency in America. This is one-on-one -on -one dawah. Dawah in the streets, dawah in the universities, dawah on the job, one-on-one -on -one dawah. 42 to 45,000 people accept Islam every year in America. And since I have been a Muslim, more than 2.3 million new Muslims have come in America. 2.3 million without organized dawah. Last year, after September the 11th, more than 78,000 people accepted Islam in America. You would think that while Muslims are being bashed and distorted, you would think that the number would have dropped. No, the number is increasing. You see, they plan, and Allah plans, and Allah is the best of planners. In the UK, on an average of 12 to 15,000 people accept Islam every year. Last year, after September the 11th, 26,000 accepted Islam. So, between the United States and the UK, who happens to be those that are perpetuating, I mean, they, they are the coalition. Just in those two societies alone, close to 100,000 Muslims 100,000 human beings have been penetrated by the D-bomb. Now you think about it, brothers and sisters. I don't know how many Muslims are in Australia. I don't know how many is in Melbourne. They tell me over 400,000 Muslims in Sydney, Australia. I mean, that was new to me. That just blew my mind. I thought I was a little bit intelligent, but I didn't know that. But given those statistics, let's think about this. Suppose one out of every 10 Muslims in Melbourne, one out of every 10 Muslims in Sydney, Australia, let's say, let's say 5,000 Muslims in Australia, let's say that, who know Islam, who do pray, who are practicing Muslims, suppose they made it their business at least 30 minutes a day to talk about dawah to their co-workers, to their neighbors, to their colleagues, and they talk to them all year long. 10, 20 different people all year, they just keep talking to them through their, and exhibit through their behavior. You don't think out of 20 or 30 people that they talk to all year long that one of them might take shahada? Yes, it's a very good chance they will. Well, I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, if you seriously undertake the responsibility and the initiation of dawah, not 5,000, but 50,000. Because you only need to make an effort. You only need to become unselfish. You only need to uncover the treasure. The people will come. Just uncover the treasure. Take the treasure out of your pockets. Take the treasure out of the mosque. Take the treasure out of your homes. 
Share the treasure with the people and they will see the difference between the treasure and the trash. They'll see the difference and then after that, act upon it. Dear Muslim brothers and sisters, what do we have to do? We have to make, we have to reform ourselves because if we don't reform ourselves, we are not the ones to give dawah. Muslims that don't pray, Muslims that don't have knowledge, Muslims that are deviant, Muslims that are selling haram and, 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 and uh, working in haram occupations, all these Muslims are disqualified for giving dawah. And even if you do give dawah, there will be no ajra for you. We Muslims have to reform ourselves. And let me just say a few things and don't be angry with me. I mean, at least I'm here talking to you now. If you don't want to invite me to come back, that's okay. But let me give you an instance. And it's not just you, it's us. But this is all over the Muslim world. Brothers and sisters, how can we expect to invite people to Islam when we Muslims are in the way? It's our behavior that is causing much of the distortion about Islam and Muslims. Now you can blame it on America, and you can blame it on France, and you can blame it on the UK, and you can blame it on Russia, and you can blame it on whoever, on Israel, and blame it on whoever you want to, but blaming will not change your condition. You and I, we need to look at our own condition and see what it is, what kind of picture that we are giving to the world. Brothers and sisters, I just came from a bathroom making wudu before the salah. And I can't imagine that a group of Muslims could be in a building and have a bathroom looking that filthy. But I understand because bathrooms look like that in Africa, in Asia, in Arabia. The bathrooms look like that, but the bathrooms don't look like that in McDonald's. The bathrooms don't look like that in the hospitals. The bathrooms do not look that way in the institutions that serve us in these countries, the Kafirs. So you see, brothers and sisters, I'm using a simple example to tell you that if our bathrooms look like that, and that's because we are praying that we don't respect the bathroom. We don't wash up after we finish washing. Water's all on the floor. Water's all on the sink. Towels all over the bathroom because the Muslims were here. That's bad dawah. You're not going to invite people to come into a dirty place. We Muslims need to be reformed in our attitude, in our behavior. We need to put a picture that people will want to come towards because what we are being invited towards and what we are buying and what we are doing is filthy inside. Brothers and sisters, McDonald's serves food is worse than dog food. They should call it McDog. <laughs> Mac animal. Honestly, the quality of meat they're serving is less than what the companies that serve pet food require. 
next to every one, they should put a Mac clinic. But that's not the issue. Your children, when they see that golden arch, they start salivating like Pavlov's dog. Because it's the image. It's the image. It's not what's inside. It's the image. And we Muslims are confused. We think because we have the Quran, we have the Sunnah. We think because we have the knowledge and the scholars, we think people should come to us and listen to us. No, our image is wrong. We got to reform ourselves. After that, we have to prepare ourselves. What is prepare? We have to make ta'awan and tawasaw. We got to cooperate, network, be concerned about each other, be sensitive about each other, work together. We have to make tawasaw. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَىٰ وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْأُدْوَانِ He says, وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ He says, وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ وَتَوَاسَوْا بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ We have to make you and I tazkiyah. Purify ourselves. If you are engaged in an occupation where you are doing haram, earning haram, understand, brothers and sisters, that you are undermining the ummah and the image of the ummah. And your prayers is worth nothing. Even though there are men and women who go to hajj every year, and while they're on hajj, their haram businesses are still collecting money. And they're in front of the Kaaba saying, Ya Rab, Ya Rab. But the Prophet said, Wa mat'amahu haram. Wa mashrabahu haram. Wa malbasahu haram. Wa ghudiya bil haram. How can they be answered when their food is haram? What they drink is haram. What they wear is haram. And what they nourish themselves off of is haram. You and I have to purify ourselves. If there's something that you and I are doing and engaged in that is immoral and incorrect, we have to change that. You and I have got to attach ourselves to people of knowledge, whether it be students of a student, students of knowledge, students of scholars, scholars themselves. Student of a student, a student of knowledge, a student of a scholar, or the scholars themselves, or if you can't get to the scholars, their books. You and I have got to attach ourselves until we have correct knowledge. After that, we have to act on that knowledge. After that, we have to amirubi, da'wah to ilay. We have to organize. Organization of da'wah is not just giving da'wah. Da'wah is not just getting some pamphlets and some booklets and putting them in the trunk of your car or putting them in your briefcase and carrying them around in your pocket. And so when you see a non-Muslim, just put it in their face or put it in their mailbox. That's not Dawah. We're not Jehovah Witnesses. That's not Dawah. We have to organize, follow a leader, be under command, be accountable, so that what we do can be looked at, evaluated. There can be some quality assurance done. 
We have to make a commitment for Dawah. We have to look at the scope of Dawah. What is it that we're trying to do? We have to belong to an organization. Muslims, if you do not belong to an organized body of Muslims, what kind of Muslim are you? An organized body of Muslims is a body of Muslims where there is a leader. Now he doesn't have to have a white turban and a white tobe on a white horse. He doesn't have to be an alim, a faqih. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be muttaqi. He doesn't have to be a mujtahid. He just has to be duly elected by the Muslims to carry the responsibility of coordinating them and ordering them. Each one of you, each one of us need to be attached to an organized body of Muslims. To do what? To launch the dawah. To launch the community. To do the work that we want to do. And the issue is not building masjids. The ill issue, this is not going to solve our problems. If this whole university was given to the Muslims, and you built a masjid in the middle of it, that's not going to solve the problem. You got to build Muslims. We got to build Muslims, and then build Muslim families, and then Muslim community under leadership. And we have to all be engaged in also management. Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his ni'mah. I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the opportunity to advise myself and to advise the Muslims. I want to remind you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned to us in Surah An-Nur that Allah has promised to those among you who have faith and do righteous actions that he will certainly grant them the succession of rule, that is, khilafa in the land, as he has granted it to those before them. And that he will grant them the authority to practice their religion, which he has chosen for them, and that he will replace their state of fear for one of safety, provided that they worship him alone and not direct worship to others along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah mentioned to us in the Quran, they wish to extinguish the light of Allah with their mouths, the kuffar. But Allah will perfect his light, even though the unbelievers detest it. It is he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who sent his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the guidance and the religion of truth that it may prevail over all other religions, even though those who worship others besides Allah may detest it. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, indeed, Allah gathered up the earth for me so that I saw its eastern and its western parts. And indeed, the dominion of my ummah will reach whatever was gathered up for me from it. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, This affair, al-Islam, will reach whatever is reached by the night and the day. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not leave a dwelling of brick nor of fur except that he will cause this religion to enter into it, bringing either honor or humiliation, honor which Allah grants to Islam or humiliation which Allah gives to the unbelievers. 
Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa also mentioned to us that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a group of his servants in any place and they themselves see an evil and they do nothing about that evil. Neither do they change it, nor do they speak about it, nor do they hate it in their hearts. But they allow the evil just to grow and they grow accustomed to that evil and sit next to it. Then Allah will visit them with a calamity from His self. He will visit them with a calamity from Himself. See? So the calamity which we are experiencing in many cases, it's not, it's not the manner of how the calamity came because when Genghis Khan and the Mongols, when they came and slaughtered the Muslims, this was a calamity which was brought upon the Muslims of that time from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. O Muslims, I advise you and I advise myself to think deeply about this mission, this mandate of da'wah about this excursion of dawah, about this operation of dawah, and that we prepare ourselves to be people of dawah, and that we prepare ourselves for this responsibility. O oh, Muslims, you and I have been ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to deliver this message. Wa Dear brothers and sisters, I have said as much as I can say within the constraints of the time. I'm not particularly qualified to say anything to you, but I say it as an advice, an advice for me and an advice for you. I'm responsible for what I said to the best of my ability. If you have a question, a genuine question, on the topic of what I spoke about, then I'll receive your questions, as many as I can within the constraints of the time. But if you have a statement that you want to make, and you came here with the burning sensation or to say this statement, then I say what you should do is you should rent your own hall. And if you have a question, which is not a part of what I said, then I have no responsibility to answer it. And I ask you not to give me any fiqhi questions, because I'm not a faqih. There are knowledgeable people here in Australia, or there are websites that you can get that answer from, so don't try to trick me. Don't ask me fiqhi questions or tricky questions. Just قُولُ قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا Straightforward. Ask me about something I said in the best of my ability. I will answer you about that which I was responsible for. The sisters, my sisters in Islam, I ask you to kindly uh, write your questions so that you don't compromise yourself or you don't need to do so. So write your questions and as soon as they reach me, sisters, I'll guarantee you that I'll begin to respond to them, inshallah. Uh, as for the brothers, uh, we're all men, I think so. 
You know, in America, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> so since we're all men, and this is not a huge place, then if you have a question, raise your hand. I'll point to you, and you stand up and ask your question. Now, I think I'll be able to hear you, and if the other people don't, I'll repeat the question. Is that good enough? Okay, so let's proceed. It's important, the brother mentioned, in our dawah to the non-Muslims, what should we discuss and how should we do it? We should invite people to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not to our group, not to ourselves. We should invite people to Allah. Meaning that we ourselves should be prepared to give the proposition of Tawheed to the people. Because the Quran has basically three themes. Anywhere you open the Quran up, any page, basically it will address one of three different themes. Tawheed. Qasas al-Anbiya or Risala or issues relative to the Akhirah. So when we talk to people, make it simple. And of course, I think it's important, I think it has some benefit to, for Muslims to understand the background of Christians, their thinking, their faith and their dogmas, but I don't agree that Muslims need to take courses in comparative religion. Because the only comparison that you need to make between Islam and them is what Allah has already made. And the Prophet didn't like for his companions to use as evidence the books that came before. He didn't like that. So, I think just my humble opinion, and I have done that. I have done the debates, and I have done the comparative religion courses, and, and there is some benefit in it. But I really think that nothing can be replaced to giving people a direct, direct invitation to the, or proposition to the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, to the Risala of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and to the actions that will guarantee them to be saved from the hellfire and the possibility of them being able to be received into the, uh, into the Jannah. So this is my uh, advice, uh, answer to your question, brother. Yes, brother. The brother says, should we make dawah to Muslims? Uh, formally, dawah is not to Muslims. Muslim already knows Allah, he knows how to pray. Maybe he's negligent, maybe he's fasic, maybe he's mudrit, maybe he's ma'asi, maybe he's ignorant, but he's already Muslim. And our dawah is calling people to Allah. Now, a Muslim is already a Muslim. We can give him ta'aleem, we can give him advice, we can regulate him if we are able to. But the dawah is for the non-Muslims. Advise our brothers. Advise our brother to go to the masjid and pray. 
advise our brother that he shouldn't be acting that way. Advise a brother of this or that. But da'wah itself is for the non-Muslims. Da'wah is for the non-Muslims. Now I understand that there's a group of people that move around the world and they give us this idea that da'wah to the Muslims should be first and then after we get the Muslims together, then we'll talk about the non-Muslims. Well, they've been saying that for 50 years. For 50 years, and another 50 years, we should be just giving dawah to the Muslims and leave the Catholics alone. So the Catholics have took the whole earth. Although their aims and objectives are beautiful, that's not consistent with the manhaj of the Prophet Sister says, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, what about males stopping females from doing dawah in a halal manner? What about the phenomena of males doing dawah to females, especially in the universities? <clears throat> the brothers who discourage the sisters from doing dawah, or the brothers who prevent them from doing dawah, or the brothers that do not encourage them to do dawah, or the brothers that don't facilitate the sister to do dawah, these brothers have the mentality that they have brought from the rest of the Muslim world. Women, women, just for your knowledge, women in the Western world multiply faster, meaning that they number more than men. And the Prophet said, I fear for my ummah no fitna greater than what? That of women. And also I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, that in my experience, in the dawah courses and dawah training that we have given, always the sisters who come, they excel the brothers. And let me give you another statistic. In the Western world especially, Western civilization, or the Western, or the civilizations that have been affected and controlled by the West, including Australia, generally speaking, the ratio is 2.5 women for every man. 2.5 women for every male. 2.5 females for every male. We didn't say, I didn't say men, I said males. Now when you add, when you, wait, 2.5. Now when you add the men who are homosexuals, that's 3.5. When you add those as playboys that don't want the responsibility, that's 4.5. When you add those that are shiftless, dysfunctional, irresponsible, that's 5.5. When you add those that's locked up in jail, that's 6.5. When you add those that are drug addicts and alcoholics, that's 7.5. When you add those that go to war and are killed, that's 8.5. So now how many males to females do you find in the Western civilizations? So we are in a civilization, brothers and sisters, where we need as many Muslim sisters committed to dawah. We need it, and we should facilitate it. In the masjids, we should have an equal amount of space for the women to function as, the, as we do for the men. 
It should be just as clean, it should be just as organized, and there should be an allotment of space for them just like that of men. It's okay if you want to separate, build a wall or a curtain or a separate place. Do whatever you like to fulfill the issue of hijab. Do that. But why should the women have a back door into a dirty place that's dark and different from that of the men? Why? Who said that? Who said that? Why is that the case? It comes from a mentality. We got to remove that mentality. The sisters should be given the same amount of time, energy, resources to do their dawah and some time should be given to them either by sisters who have knowledge or by brothers who have knowledge to train those sisters to do dawah. And you'll find the dawah move faster when you have sisters that committed to dawah. This is my experience. Oh, they got it like a bucket. <laughs> Just put them over here. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to take them random, if you don't mind. Are these all for the sisters? Okay, good. Let me take a, uh, uh, a question from the brothers then. The brother mentioned that um, since September the 11th, uh, many Muslims are afraid to give dawah because the kuffar will then say, well, uh, oh, you're a Muslim, do you know how to make a bomb? <laughs> well, brother, look, let me just say this to you. Um, if you are afraid to say who you are because of how they think, then what they have done is they have completed their job. They are not afraid to invite your children, your wife, your daughter, your sister. They are not afraid to offer them whatever filth they have. Not since September the 11th, but for the last 10, 20, 30 years here or in the country you came from. So why are we fearful to talk to them about Islam because we happen to be living in their country? Brothers and sisters, we cannot be reactionaries. We have to be proactive, not reactive. This is our job, to answer them. If they say, are you a Muslim? Yes, I am. Well, what is Islam? Or ask them, do you really know about Islam? Not what you read in the newspapers, not what you saw on television, but do you really know something about Islam? If you don't, I'm a Muslim. Why don't you and your family come to my house for dinner? But our problem as Muslims, we don't really want to invite them to our houses. And we don't want to go to their houses. We want to talk to them in the street or on a bus stop. We want to talk to them in the corridor of a school. That's how we want to give dawah. Or we want them to come to the masjid where we pray and take off their shoes and socks and sit in some little dirty place while we pray and talk to them in a circle. That's what we want to do. That's not the best advice. When the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu went to Medina Munawwara on the Hijrah, Medina at that time was not the city of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was it? Was it? It wasn't. He was invited there by a group of Muslims who also was asking for someone to arbitrate on their behalf 
because the city at that time was under the possibility or the prospect of civil war. They needed the skills of an arbiter, like the Prophet The first thing the Prophet did when he went there, one of the first issues that he said, he told his, his companions, you see, something simple. Spread food. Give the invitation and answer the invitation. And do what? Give the salam. Give the greeting to who you know and whom you don't know. If we are not open Muslims, direct Muslims, and we can't answer a simple question, and if we are afraid of what they blame us, brothers, they're going to be blaming us from now on. What's the difference? What's the matter? We're not afraid of the blame. If they say to us, how did you make a bomb? Tell them. <laughs> tell them, I'll tell you how we make a bomb, but it's not the A bomb. It's not the H bomb. It's not the N bomb. It's not a smart bomb. It's the D bomb. <laughs> now sit right here for a minute while, while I put it together for you. Someone say, could you please remind, especially the Somali sisters, to mix, give salam to their white sisters. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't laugh. I, this is something that the sister is meaning. This is what happens. This is what happens. <clears throat> this is what happens. I have a new wife. And before we got married, she told me her experiences. Every masjid she goes to, because she's from Spain how the Bangladeshi sisters look at her like she's crazy, how the Somali sisters look at her like she doesn't belong there, how the Arab sisters look at her, how this one looks at her. They don't give no dawah, they don't do no teaching, no nothing. All they do is like look strange like she's an alien or something like that. <laughs> so this happens also to many other new Muslims. And this racial thing, I spoke on it already. Brothers and sisters, we got to get rid of this racial thing. Get rid of it. It's filthy. It's un-Islamic. It's part of the cultural baggage that you brought. And the country you live in, they love it. They promote it. They want you to be Somali Muslims, Yemeni Muslims, Gujarati Muslims, Saudi Muslims. Just so long as you put something in front of Islam, they like it and they can tolerate it. But they don't want you just to be Muslims and they don't just want Islam. They wanted to have that culture in front of it because that's how they can keep it down and modify it and identify it. Get rid of it, brothers and sisters. That's what I can tell you. Just get rid of it. It's something outside of our religion. Sister says, as you're probably aware, there are quite a few Islamic dawah centers here in Melbourne, but unfortunately they are not united as one. Well, they, they need to. They need to make Taiwan because what are they inviting people to? They're inviting people to them to their office, to their center? What's the need for that? Why wouldn't five dawah organizations, why wouldn't they meet once a month and put their minds together on putting together some uh, um, materials that represent all the Muslims of Australia? Why wouldn't they do that? Why wouldn't they come together and not just bring together two or three hundred Muslims, 
But why wouldn't they put something together and bring together 5,000? Why wouldn't these Dawah organizations come together and not give a lecture in this little lecture hall, but select the best gathering place in Melbourne, five, ten thousand seats, and invite the whole city of Melbourne to hear the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why won't they do that? Do you think that the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't deserve to be heard and that the non-Muslims will not come to hear it in a place where, where, you can, where, where you can seat five or six or seven thousand? Do you think that? No, they will. But you have to make the sacrifice. You have to think that way. You have to think like they think. Because when the Kafirs come together and invite other Kafirs to slander the Prophet to slander the Prophet, to curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to invite people to say, Esau is the son of Allah, when they do it, they do it in stadiums. And they make sure that they drop off a few of these flies at the mosque too. So what are we afraid of? What the sister she mentioned is correct. Is there another question from the brothers? Yes, Akhi. Brother said, should a Muslim be a religious scholar to give dawah? No, brother, we do not have clerics. We don't have priests. A scholar is a person who distributes knowledge. Students of knowledge go to the scholars so that they can be representative of that scholar and his knowledge and distribute. But we individually, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Preach, teach, spread from me whatever you have. If it's only an ayah. If you know who Allah is, tell the people. If you know who the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, tell them. If you know the Arakan Islam, tell them. You know Arakan Iman, explain to them. You explain as much as you can, and when you get to your limit, give them something to read, or take them to somebody who has more knowledge than you have. But each one of us have the obligation to do dawah. And we cannot leave dawah upon the scholars. And we can't sit and wait for scholars to come and lecture to us. This is not our manner, brother. We don't do that. We don't need to do that. There's enough people right here in Melbourne, Australia, that have enough knowledge of the Qur'an, knowledge of the Sunnah, knowledge of Islam, to be able to teach the people of this city. And from every now, every now and then, we bring a scholar, we bring a student of knowledge from somewhere else, we bring a brother like Khalid Yassin who knows how to talk, we can bring him to talk a little bit, but you don't need Khalid Yassin. You don't need uh, uh, Jamaluddin Zarabozo. You don't need uh, uh, a scholar, Fulan Fulan, to come from Saudi Arabia, Syria, to come here, talk to you about dawah, or to talk to the non-Muslims about dawah. In fact, let me just tell you this, just so that you know this, brother. In Saudi Arabia, and this is casting no aspersion on anybody who happens to be from Saudi Arabia. I'm just going to give it to you, the facts. In Saudi Arabia, most of the non-Muslims who become Muslims in Saudi Arabia 
they don't become Muslims because they went to a scholar. And that's in that country. I told you it's one-on-one, -on -one, person to person, individuals who themselves feel inside their hearts the commitment to do dawah. That's the way it is there, and that's the way it is here, and that's the way it is everywhere. You are responsible for dawah according to your ability, and I am responsible according to my ability. Wallahu a'lam. A sister asked, will the lecture for non-Muslims be segregated? And will a woman be prevented from asking questions? As far as I'm concerned, it will not be segregated. But I'm not the controller. I'm not the organizer. If I'm in America, often I'm in the UK, I will make sure that women are seated in such a way that everything is decent and that we are respectful of the Islamic principles. But if a non-Muslim woman wants to come and ask a question, we can't force her to go in some back room and put on a hijab. We can't force her to do that. Nor can we force her to go behind a curtain. And I remind the brothers about this issue, that women came in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and asked him questions directly. And at that time, there was no curtain in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Now I understand the issue of the times we live in and the fitna of women and the lipstick and the tight jeans and the blah blah. I understand all of that. But if the men feel lost upon a dollar and keep looking front, they ain't got to worry about what's in the back. Do our best, but understand we're not in Somalia, we're not in Arabia, we're not in the Sudan, we're not in Egypt, you're in Australia. So you got to compromise, not the sunnah or the Qur'an, but you got to use your mind to create an environment that you don't prevent access and you don't intimidate. And at the same token, you don't put people in a situation that they themselves feel demeanor. They feel themselves that um, they, uh, they, someone has disrespected them. So I say the brothers who organize whatever dawah that they do on Wednesday, uh, I'll do my best to express my views, but at the same token, that's not my responsibility. So what I'm going to do is, I'm coming to whatever environment the brothers provide. I might advise them this or that, but uh, at the end of the day, I think that's what you people say here, right? Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to basically do what I have to do within the context of the brothers and sisters who set up the organization. Somebody says, look, bro. <laughs> so it must be a non-Muslim that asked this question because a Muslim wouldn't have called me bro. This kind of vernacular is not consistent with Islam. Forget about the fact that I'm 56 years old and that it seems like this person is a young person because I don't think this would be an old fool. <laughs> so if this is a non-Muslim, you're excused. You don't know the adept. If this is a Muslim who's asked talking to me, then I'm probably the age of your father. So I'm not bro to you. Uh, and if I don't think it was a sister that asked this question, but anyway, let me just answer it. I realize this topic is irrelevant, so if it's irrelevant, then I won't answer it. <laughs> I told you from the beginning, and the brother told you from the beginning, if it's irrelevant, it won't be answered. Now, if, if you got a question for me that had nothing to do with the topic, I will be available 
for three days here. And I don't mind um, people who themselves got problems or they got issues that they think somehow or another that maybe I should address. Or they have a problem with something I said and they want to say, look, bro, I'll be available for that. But that's not for here. Assalamu alaikum. He said, brother, there is a young lady among us who, alhamdulillah, made the choice to uh, convert on Friday. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. Yet, uh, when she went to the masjid to convert, the sheikh turned her away and told her to go and learn to pray and come back in a week. SubhanAllah. What should the young woman do? Uh, and was it correct? I'm not going to speak on what uh, the sheikh did because I don't know his reasoning. And I don't want to make um, any, say any statements about um, what a person of knowledge or responsibility did. Um, but what I can say is that the sisters who are around that, first of all, no one has to, if a person accepts Islam, you don't have to bring them to the mosque to know Sheikh. This is not part of the ritual. There's no ritual like that. We don't have any priests in Islam. So priests don't have to admit no, uh, have to uh, put no rights on anybody. We don't have a body of water in the back of the masjid somebody to be dipped. There's no baptismal. There's no ceremony. The shahada, inviting people to Islam, is talking to them, giving them the proposition, and then asking them to say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Or asking them to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and if they say that then you sisters teach that sister how to wash and pray you don't need to take her to the masjid to a sheikh who tell her to come back a week later maybe the sheikh had a reason maybe if there was something that you wanted him to do he wasn't available for a week maybe but you sisters who are Muslims, you take that sister home, show her what to do, wash and pray. And maybe in a week's time, bring her back to the sheikh. If he said come back in a week, you spend the time with that sister, how to wash, how to pray, and how to be Muslim, and so forth and so on. Take her to the masjid, see the sheikh, and then after that, continue with that sister. Maybe in a month's time, if three or four sisters interact with that Muslim sister, in a month's time she has her salah together. Any brothers? Yes, Akhi. Uh, making, um, uh, making uh, each one of us should go to our own individual limits of patience, of tolerance, of resources, of time. Uh, make the investment that you can make. You know your ability. Now, if someone curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, first of all, I, I say this. 
Pick and choose your dower. Don't just talk to people indiscriminately. Talk to the people that are nearest to you. A colleague. If he respects you, he's not going to curse the law. Your colleague will not uh, disrespect your mother even. How will he disrespect the law? If he respects you, our dower should have a basis. The best basis for dower is good relationship. Your colleagues that you go to school with, your neighbors that you live next to, your co-workers that you work and interact with every day, these are the first prospects for dawah. Your relatives, if they're non-Muslims, because all of these are people that know you and there's a basis for your inviting them. Don't indiscriminately go all over the university inviting people to Islam. They don't even know you from a can of paint. Why should you invite somebody else who doesn't know you when all the people that are around you that know you, you haven't invited them? Why should I invite others to Islam? I didn't talk to my family. So if you talk to people who know you, usually those people that know you, they will not curse you, they will not curse your family, they will not disrespect your religion. But if they do, be prepared to be tolerant. Don't just give up right away. Say to them, this is not good behavior. I would never speak that way to you. I would never speak that way even about your religion. So, you know, I think really, if you and I are going to talk again, you need to curb yourself, you need to correct yourself. So I'm just saying to you what I would do and what I have done. And I have found that ignorant people, angry people, people themselves that say things out of reaction and preconditioning, if you are patient over a period of time, you might find later on that same person comes back and apologizes to you and may become a Muslim. Uh, sorry, but I mean, it's not a matter of myself, but about God, about Allah. About Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. A person, whatever a person says about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's on him. You be patient. I don't say sit there while he continues to curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and just sit there. No, but don't react and don't give up. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is far above being harmed by whatever they say. And Allah is far above benefiting from whatever they do. So we should not get reactionary because of something they say about Allah or something they said about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Sometimes that is one of the things a person does to test you to see what, 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 what you are about. Don't you remember that person? I believe it was a Yahudi in the seerah that came in the masjid of the Prophet and grabbed him by his, his shirt so that even a mark was made on his neck. Demanding what? A debt, isn't it? What did the companions want to do for that person? They want to kill him. No, the Prophet said, no, don't do that. He has haq over me. Is there any one of you can help me to pay this debt? And Uthman ibn Affan offered some date palms which he had outside of Medina. And then that person said, no, I only came to test you to see how you will act. If you were in fact a prophet, you will act noble. And if you were not, you would disrespect me and dishonor me. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. We have many examples like this here. So I say each one of us should take it to the limit of our own ability. Uh, a sister asked the question, I think it's a sister, as a Muslim, 
What are my responsibilities to tonight? Uh, oh, oh, to, um, I'm not sure, I can't read the handwriting, the Muslims in, oh, what are my uh, responsibilities towards the Muslims in Iraq? Uh, what, um, will I be guided by Allah or will I be um, responsible, I'm not sure what it's, or will I be asked by Allah for not doing anything about that situation. Brothers and sisters, we should have feeling for all the Muslims. Though Muslims who are uh, oppressed, who, who are persecuted, who are suffering, uh, everywhere in the world. But brothers and sisters, you cannot help and respond to every situation in the world. And if you didn't have a television, or radio, you would even know what's happening in the rest of the world. You would hear about it, and you would feel about it, but because you've got that great big 27-inch television playing all the time, your emotions are being played on all the time, radio, newspapers, and so what, it, what happens, we become reactionaries. We think we need to do something for Iraq, but we don't even do anything for ourselves. You can change your house you can change yourself. You can change your family. You can change your neighborhood. You can change the organization that you belong to. You can change the society where you are. Then maybe we can change the world. But if we can't change ourselves, what are we going to do with the rest of the world, brothers and sisters? That's like the brothers and sisters who are always talking about Khilafah, 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 Islamic State, Islamic State. These brothers, most of them that talk this way, they don't even come to the Fajr prayer. They don't come to the Fajr prayer. They can't beat the sheets. They cannot erect a plan to get up out of the bed. They can't set a clock, but they want to appoint the Khilafah. They want to build the Islamic State to rule the world, but they can't organize their own lives to get up out of the bed. I tell them, when I talk to them and they got those questions for me, I say, meet me at Fajr, we'll talk about that at the Fajr. <laughs> is, it, is, it, uh, is it permissible for Muslims to rally? Um, let me just say this to you, brothers and sisters. I don't say rallying, marching, protesting, shouting is nothing. It is something. I mean, something is always better than nothing. You know, that's what you say. Something is better than nothing. I mean, if you can't do anything else but spit at them, you could, that's okay. But that's not going to do much. See, rallying, marching, shouting is just like doing the jamrat during the hajj. A million and a half, two million people is doing the jamrat in the hajj. Is it correct? That doesn't do anything to shaitan. That's a symbol for us. Now, I understood that about a month ago, I was, in, I was in London, about a month ago, I was in the UK, and 400,000 Muslims marched, 400,000 marched against the war in Iraq. Did it stop the war? Stopped nothing. 400,000 Muslims spent on an average of 30 to 50 sterling pounds that day to come to that march and go back home. Add that money up. 
400,000 times 30 to 50 pounds. That means, let's say, on average of 40 pounds. So 40 pounds times 400,000 people. How much money is that, you mathematician, you intelligent brothers and sisters? How much money is that? Huh? No, 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 no. I said 400,000 people times 40 pounds. Huh? Sixteen million. Now how many masjids, how many universities, how many clinics, how many, how many houses, how many institutes could they have built that day in the UK? Where they could have reformed themselves and their children so that perhaps they don't wind up in a situation like that. And after it's all over with and everybody comes back home and, go, and get in their beds and get up the next morning, most of those 400,000 people that went on that march did not pray Fajr the next morning. So I say that you can do something. Something is better than nothing. But we need to look to the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam and see, did he do that? Was that his way of demonstrating against the kuffar? And what does it amount to? Second thing is, who was it organized by? I'll tell you. It was organized by the, uh, the coalition to stop the war. Now, who is the coalition to stop the war? Do anybody know who they are? They're socialists. Communists. Homosexuals and lesbians. Coalition to stop the war. PhD, graduates, intelligent, resourceful people who also contact masjids and tell them that as Muslims, they need to be involved. And the Muslims do get involved. But who are they being organized by? And why are those people, why are those people concerned about Iraq? Were they concerned about Iraq while the sanctions were going on? Were they concerned about Iraq when the desert storm took place? No. They're concerned now because they are thinking that this situation might trigger a world war and the bread on their table and the quality of their lives might be affected. They're not thinking about the Muslims at all. But the Muslims go lickety split and we get involved. And we out there, tag be Allahu Akbar, tag be Allahu Akbar. And we being organized and manipulated by somebody else. No, I don't agree with it and I don't do it. But I don't say that those who do it are wrong. So I'm not going to criticize and I'm not going to stop anybody. Do what you want to do, but I'll guarantee you it's not going to change the way Kafirs, what they do. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway. Somebody said, I just want to uh, ask that lately people are saying that the Mahdi has come and he is already someone, he's already in someone's stomach. That was, <laughs> that's, that, one's, that, that was a little bit too uh, technical for me. I can't handle that one. Uh, the person that asked that question, maybe there was something else you intended and I didn't read it right. If that's the case, I will be available to talk to you about that so that 
that particular question or issue can be addressed, but I didn't understand it correctly, uh, or maybe I didn't read it right. So I don't want to uh, disrespect the question. Yes, brother. Excuse me? Men should give dower to men unless an extraordinary, unusual situation takes place where you find yourself necessary to sit with some women or a woman to give dower. But even in that case, you need to protect yourself and protect that sister from khalwa. So you don't be alone. And if you can avoid the fitna that happens naturally when men and women are talking, if you can do that, save yourself and refer that sister to some sisters. Because in most cases, there are some sisters that not only it would be more appropriate, but in many cases, there are some sisters that might even be better suited to deal with that situation than you or I. So I say that brothers should be careful that they don't allow their lower head to super, supersede their upper head. Because sometimes the dower is not coming from the top. <laughs> the same thing goes with the sisters. Sisters, don't think you sitting up in some place talking to some brother about some, some calf about some dower, talking to him about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and, uh, and you should know about Islam and uh, brother and so-and-so and, you know, this about this so-and-so and my name is Layla. <laughs> you, you find yourself in trouble, sis, I'm telling you. So, generally speaking, sisters give dower to the sisters, brothers give dower to the brothers, unless an extraordinary situation takes place, then do dower. Lower your gaze, guard your modesty, do your job, move on, and give somebody the reference. That's all. Brother, I'm just working place, working place, study place, walking place, living place, whatever. I'm just telling you, don't make no excuses and bring something on yourself, brother. You know, because shaitan is slick. Believe me, brothers, Shaitan, he got a bag full of tricks. Look to the story of Yusuf, alayhi salam, brother. I mean, come on, Yusuf was a prophet, isn't he? Now, there are some women who have some guiles and some ways. I told a story the other night. I only told part of the story. Remember, I told a story the other night about the sheikh. A, 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 a sheikh, a knowledgeable sheikh, who was called himself giving dower to a sister and find himself sitting on her front porch giving her dower and wasn't nothing wrong. It just, you know, he, he, she offered him some food. He's sitting down eating and it started pouring down raining. She didn't have no covering on the porch. And so she just said to the sheikh, well, sheikh, just come right inside here and, and just finish your food and I'll go in the back. And so the sheikh just stood in the doorway like was kept eating. And the door just closed. And when he turned around, the sister was there with no clothes on. <laughs> now, this is an unusual situation, but it can happen. Now, I don't know how you would act and how I would act, but 
That's not a situation we want to find ourselves in. I can't, I, can, I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. He, the, the Sheikh made Tauber. Sometimes I hesitate to speak about Islam directly with my peers in the university because I hear they may, I fear they may feel I am being pushy. Don't. So I just try to behave well. That's it, sis. Behave well. Say little and do much. You don't have to do a lot of talking. You don't have to be uh, aggressive. You know, we're not, again, we're not Jehovah's Witness and we're not those guys that ride around on the bicycles in the backpack. We don't have no mandate to knock on 30 or 40, 50 doors a day. And we don't have to walk around with, to every calf for putting a, a pamphlet in their face or they should be Muslim. No, just develop relationships naturally. And through your behavior, you'll find out that non-Muslims will ask you. Sister, can I ask you a question? Do you have to wear that? What, why, do you, why do you stop? Why do you go pray? Isn't it difficult? Aren't you hot wearing those clothes? What does Islam mean? Why are you a Muslim in these days and times? Are you married? Why? You have children? How come your husband this and that? They'll ask you the questions. Now, when they ask you the questions, look for the trigger word, the trigger words. And then you answer. You don't have to push. You don't have to be aggressive. The, the questions will come naturally. Can we pray? Kunut, I think the sister's saying. I think she's saying, can we pray the Kunut prayer? I'm not sure, but I'll leave it there for a moment. <clears throat> I heard that Coca-Cola uh, are proud sponsors of the assault on Iraq. That I see brothers and sisters in the room drinking Coca-Cola. Well, if, if we wasn't going to drink any soft drinks that contributed to Zionism or, uh, or oppression in the world, we wouldn't be drinking no soft drinks. And I don't think it's just Coca-Cola. If you think that anything is the difference between Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola, you just don't know yourself. And I don't think the issue so much is stop drinking Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola or whatever. I think it's an internal situation. We need to sometimes boycott ourselves. I mean, put yourself under scrutiny. Put yourself under check. Arrest your own tendencies. Regulate yourself. Make a commitment to the dower yourselves. Then you won't continually be um, manipulated by all these so-called conspiracies. You know, the Muslims and should not have done. You know what that is? Bad thinking. Paranoid. Everybody's, uh, everybody's uh, plotting on us, scheming on us. You know, you're always looking around and pointing at people as this one and that one. No, point at yourself. What did the prophet Yunus do when the fish swallowed him? What did he say? Who knows the dua? La ilaha illa anta Subhanaka inni kuntu min Blame yourself We inside the belly of the fish But don't blame the fish Blame yourself And maybe Allah will cause that fish that we in To swim to the shore And vomit us out on the shore 
Maybe Allah will rescue us if we blame ourselves and correct ourselves first. Someone says, how can we reduce the impact of TV? Well, if you can, lock that beast up. <laughs> I mean, the TV itself is not itself as an instrument haram. That, that's not my opinion. Now, there are some people who say that the TV by itself, period, just a, just a box with no picture on it. But it's the images, the programming that comes on it. Now, you and I have some control over that. Now, there's several things that we can do. We can promote Islamic enterprise to create an alternative media for us. And that's what one of the things the Islamic Teaching Institute is doing. By the way, I don't know if the brothers and sisters uh, are walking around with some buckets like this for donations, but they should. Because this question prompts me to tell you that the Islamic Teaching Institute has, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have been given the only license in Europe for an sat Islamic satellite television station. Now we are linking up with a group of brothers in Sydney who have one Islam media production studios. Now for us to produce programming for that station 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it will cost about six million sterling pounds a year. But Allah will give what he wants to give from whom he wants to give it to. And we believe that if he gave us the license, that what we need will come. The studio will produce, help us to produce the programming. The station, Jazakallah Khaira, the station will provide the launching pad. You Muslims will provide the support for it. So now that's an alternative to what we're talking about here. That's an alternative. It means that you can throw your TVs out or don't have any TVs inside the house at all or you can control the TV. You can buy a television where you can block out every channel on that television except the ones you want to watch. Or you can block it out with a timer and you brothers have enough technological experience to know how to do this. You can put a timer on a TV where it just simply doesn't come on until you get home. Or you can support Muslim Enterprise who is engaged in developing an alternative media industry. Now that's what you can do. Now the Islamic Teaching Institute, that's, what it's, that's one of the things it's engaged in doing. And if the brothers who organized this here, if for some reason or another they are hesitant to collect money uh, on behalf of this kind of activity, what we usually do whenever we gather people together for dawah or for teaching or otherwise, we always ask them to contribute towards this effort so they can gain the ajura to help us to do what we're doing. If you want to contribute, you can put it in a bucket or you can come drop it here on the desk or you can see me in the room, or you can give it to the organizers, and what we will do is, we will give half to the organizers, 
so they can do some other things they need to do, and the other half will take for the One Islam Studios in Sydney and for the Islamic Teaching Institute so that it can foster the Islamic information network that I'm talking to you about. The sister says, is it haram to watch? And uh, I got five minutes, so I'm not going to be able to answer the rest of all of those questions. Is it haram to watch CNN, BBC? I, I wouldn't say it's haram to do so, but I'm not a person to give fatwa or to make uh, hukum. Yes, Akhi. And some other You say, when I give dawah, should I speak about the oppressed nations? I'm not, I'm not calling people to the oppressed nations. I'm calling people to Allah. So, um, there are, oh, Muslims are oppressed all over the world. And I can talk about uh, oppression if that's the nature of my talk. But I'm calling people to Allah, calling people to the Prophet calling people to the Quran, calling people to Islam. And so I don't want to divert my call to the Muslims. Because that's a different call. But in, in, in the course of talking to people about world affairs, fiqh waqia or other things, yes, we can mention that. We can. Yes, no doubt about that. Jazakallah uh, I want to know if a so-called Muslim government that implements westernized rulings, can you say that that specific country cannot be stated as a Muslim? Okay, that's, uh, that's not quite pertinent and it might be a little... Um, it might be something that I could answer a little bit later on. How to be, uh, how to be deputated, the Muslim that has been polluted, or how to be depolluted, the Muslim that has been polluted by the government and their country. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ittaqullah haythu ma kuntu. Follow up, the Prophet said, Fear Allah wherever you are. And follow up a bad deed with a good one, and that will wipe it out. And after that, have good behavior towards the human beings. Um, brothers and sisters, uh, at this point, we want uh, to, to end our session, not that we want to, but we have to. And we want to thank uh, everyone that came. And if the organizers have an appropriate place uh, for me to sit, to receive a few uh, 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 individuals who may have some pertinent questions, I'll do that. Um, I only had about six more questions left, so really, um, I don't think there's that many people that I really need to sit and talk with. But if there are, if the brothers have an appropriate place, I'll be there for maybe another 20 minutes or so. I want to thank you very much. Subhanakallahumma bihamdikum wa nashadu an la ilaha illa anta wa nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. What is the purpose of life? Why is it that when we ask the simple question, what is the purpose of our lives? Why do we get so many different answers? It is because people haven't really thought about it. 
It's too frightening. Not the question itself is frightening, but what's frightening is that if we answer it clearly, it may change our lives indelibly. And we are afraid of change. And now we have discovered that every part of creation that has been discovered is inside of a drop of water. Well, the Quran already said that to us 1,500 years ago, that we created everything and every single thing from water. The Quran said that. We want to talk this evening about Jesus, the son of Mary, and his phenomenal birth. A birth that very few human beings, whether Muslims or Christians, have any argument about. We believe, and our Quran makes it clear for us and confirms for us, that Jesus Christ, in fact, he was born without the intervention of sperm. That his mother, Mary, that blessed woman, she became pregnant by the word of God. No man touched her. Eight murders or homicides are committed every 19 minutes. And two rapes are committed every seven minutes. And there are three robberies every 59 seconds. There are 257,000 children that are legally or illegally aborted. That is, 257,000 children are killed in the womb by license. 21 million children are born every year out of wedlock who do not know their mothers and fathers or who do not know whom they are fathered by. 2.8 million suicides every year of human beings who find no reason to live. With these kinds of social problems inside of their own boundaries, inside of their own governments, in their own institutions, how can they bring peace to the world? It doesn't make sense. Oh Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds you and me that whatever good happens, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if something else happens, this is from our own hands. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has ordered you and I to enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong. And when we cease to do that, we don't enjoin the right, we don't enjoin, uh, enjoin the, we don't enjoin the right, we don't forbid the wrong, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that He will visit us a calamity from Himself. So that when the calamity happens or you are punished 
and the musibah comes upon you and you call upon Allah, he will not answer. What do the Muslims of today expect? The character of the Muslim is the most important part of the Muslim. Not what he or she says, not only what he or she wears, not where they come from or who their mother or father is or grandfather, not the country they live in or for that matter if they live next to the Kaaba. This is not important at all. It is the character because the character is the actual fruit. And we can remember on the occasion when the Prophet ﷺ invited his companions to make a sacrifice in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, he brought half of his wealth. And he considered this to have been a major sacrifice. And he was very proud of that. But when Abu Bakr came, Abu Bakr, he brought all of his wealth. And when the Prophet asked Abu Bakr what he had left for his family, what was the response of Abu Bakr? He said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu. Allah and his messenger. And it was by the suggestion or the order of the Prophet that Abu Bakr took back some of his wealth for his family. And this is why the Prophet mentioned that there was no one from among the Muslims who displayed his loyalty to Allah and his messenger similar to that of Abu Bakr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, yes, definitely. Who? Who is better? Who is more excellent than the one that calls towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Not just calling, not just shouting, not just arguing. But they are acting upon what they are calling. They are setting a precedent for what they are calling too. They have established a behavior, a paradigm, an example to what they are calling to. And they openly say, announce, I am Muslim. Where oceans and rivers meet, does the ocean take over the river? It doesn't, although the ocean might be five times, six times, eight times, ten times larger than a river. And you know, if you took two bodies of water and you put a funnel in between them, what would happen? The larger body would absorb the smaller body, wouldn't they? But in the case of the ocean and the river, it doesn't happen because Allah said he put a bazaq. So they do not overcome each other. And one of our uh, Jacques Cousteau, who passed away now, he was a marine biologist. He was able to film under the ocean where the rivers meet the ocean and the river meets the ocean and the ocean meets the river and they go back. They meet and they go back. 
So therefore the rivers return back to itself and the ocean returns back to itself and they do not overcome each other. How did the Prophet know that? Islam has five fundamental pillars, the first of which is to bear witness that there is none to be worshipped except Almighty God, consistent with the first commandment given to Moses, consistent with the first commandment that Jesus Christ also said is the greatest of the commandments. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, absolutely one, not the number one. Not the number one that could be divided into one, two, three. Not the number one that could be multiplied. But absolutely one, having no one besides, no other God besides. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul, and thou shalt not worship anyone except the Lord thy God nor bow down to any graven images in the heavens or the earth or the sea below. Such said Moses, and such said confirmed Jesus Christ, and such said the Quran. This is what we bear witness, and this is the first pillar of Islam, and the most important. If war erupts in Iraq, more than 3,000 missiles will be rained upon Iraq in a course of six, six hours and more than a half a million people will be killed. Can you tell me how the lives of a half a million people are equal to a leader, Saddam Hussein? If America was able to go into South America and pull out, what was the guy's name, General uh, Noriega. Noriega. America was selling drugs with Noriega, but then Noriega flipped on them. So they went in and took this man from his country, brought him out, and put him in jail for life in their country. So why they don't just go into Iraq and pull out Saddam? No, they need to go into Iraq. Why? Because you'll find that in a matter of six months after the war, the prices in the oil will go down. And as we speak right now, there are 27 mega companies, mega companies who are bidding for contracts for the reconstruction of Iraq. What does it have to do with Saddam Hussein and democracy? If a man had to get pregnant and have a baby, he would die. And then on top of that, if he had to look forward to taking care of that child for the next 10, 15, 20 years, and sometimes the mother, she's taking care of a grown child. Men who still live with their mothers, you couldn't do it. And still she's taking care of herself, and she's taking care of her husband. May Allah subhanahu wa reward those sisters. And may Allah cover their faults. And may Allah cause the husbands and brothers and sons to appreciate them because they are the goodly trees that bear the goodly fruit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa he made brotherhood very sacred, very important. It's the whole basis of the Muslim society, brotherhood. And when there's no brotherhood, believe it, there is no substance among the Muslims. No substance.
The first principle and characteristics of da'wah is that the da'i has to have knowledge. Not just ambition, not just emotional drive, and not just a reaction to some insult that somebody has said, and not just a feeling to want to give da'wah because you know it's an obligation. All of those things are good, and it's all necessary. But without knowledge, what are you going to do? But always show your composure and your willingness to talk to anybody. Because why? You put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the very beginning. The messenger of Allah, he didn't have all the answers. But he put his trust upon Allah. Allah says to him, فَتَوَكَّلُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ القائد أعلى المسدد نبينا الهادي محمد في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد